0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the uh, Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinas, joined by Megan Ballinger. Um, we're going to break down Creighton's another successful weekend for the Jays. They go 2-0 on the road. Uh, probably their toughest road trip of the year, I would say, maybe since probably the Lexington um, tournament down in Lexington and uh, they swept. They beat Marquette in four sets. Uh, swept a paul in three and they are now tied with the golden Eagles for first place in the big East uh, with six matches to go. Um, they obviously own the tiebreaker over Marquette via the regular season sweep. Um, Marquette's only two losses are to Creighton. Creighton's two losses are on the road to St. John's and UConn. Um, only one of those teams they have left on the schedule. That they'll play St. John's. They won't play UConn again because of, um, and you come being back in the league, there's not, uh, it's not a double round robin anymore in volleyball. So the Jays will only get the payback game against St. John's. Um, so if they went out, you know, and Marquette wins out, the Jays will be the one seed in Milwaukee in the conference tournament and they'll share the regular season title, um, with the golden Eagles. Well, let's start with that first match in Milwaukee. Um, God, it just, it's no matter what changes or what goes on with these two teams, it feels like it's just kind of the, the same story plays out. Creighton's just so good defensively. Feels like they read Marquette really well. They have a good game plan going in, they execute it well. Um, is that kind of what you just saw again, Megan, in terms of why they were able to be successful in that uh, Friday night match in Milwaukee? Just game planning and execution?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just thought they were really, really solid. Just, you know, doing the basics, honestly, just serving pass. They thought they were really solid blocking. Um, yeah, there's just something about when Creighton and Marquette kind of, you know, just match up. And for some reason, Creighton seems to come out on top um, most of the time. So I don't really know the rhyme or reason, um, but it's just an interesting kind of swing of things when you look just historically at when they've played.
0: Why does it seem like Creighton outmatches or overwhelms them physically? Because Marquette's a pretty physical team, too, right? They, they hit the ball hard. They've got length and athleticism. Why does it seem like when that matchup happens, the physicality looks like it's, um, you know, advantage Creighton most of the time? It's just like Marquette has a tough time to put the ball down. Creighton gets block touches, like, kept consistently. Um, Marquette hits low percentages. Like, it just doesn't feel like they have an easy time. <clears throat> Despite the matchup being pretty even on paper physically, I think.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's something, I don't know, you know, maybe, you know, Crane just kind of raised their level. I think you kind of see that. I mean, they raise their level kind of to their opponent and, I think, you know, when you go in and play Marquette, you know, it's going to be a really physical game. So I think you prepare for that and you just, you know, prepare to get really good block touches and to fly around defensively. So I think if you kind of just buy into that and, you know, they're going to have great hitters coming at you, they're going to run different schemes at you, Um so I think it's just kind of that tenacity and you know, it's almost a mindset for Crane just to be like, okay, like we're gonna outplay these guys and we're gonna fly around and we're gonna do everything we can physically um to come out on top.
0: Yeah, the, the first two sets were really it's set up, I think, for everybody watching and maybe for the players involved too, that it was gonna be a dogfight the whole way, that every point was gonna be was gonna be crucial. You know, I think they split. The first two sets, uh, Creighton won game one, 25-23, and then Marquette won set two by the same score. What what did you see after intermission? Why would you know? Because Creighton outscored them 50 to 32 over the last two sets. Game three was not close at all. And honestly, set four was probably heading towards another double digit win if Marquette doesn't put together a late run after Creighton had um after Creighton got to set point but those last two sets were not really that competitive. Was was Creighton just sharper, or did you see an adjustment that Marquette couldn't – that Marquette had a tough time handling from Creighton's side of things?
1: I think one thing is, you know, they made a lot less errors Mm -hmm. in the third set than they did in the first and second. And then you look kind of at, you know, the number of errors that Marquette made, and Marquette made only one less error in the third set than they did in the first two. So I think they cleaned it up a little bit offensively. And then I think, too, just – I think blocking and defense really, I think, took a step up in that third set, and they were really able just to kind of dictate what they wanted to do based on how well they played defense.
0: And then you look at – you know, we talked a lot about the previous weekend about, you know, how does – how Creighton has played without Jalen Zimmerman. They didn't have to do that again this weekend. Uh, Although, i got to say, I think Creighton – uh, did a little gamesmanship coming into the weekend. Cause normally when they do the Instagram takeovers for those weekend road trips, they'll hand it to a player who's either not going to play a bunch or is not going to play at all. Like you'll see Kiara Reinhardt do a lot of IG takeovers or you'll see like Ali Van Eckert and Abby Milner, like kind of the reserve group will take over the Instagram feed for the weekend. They handed it to Jayla going into this weekend. And I thought, okay, that's probably a sign that she hasn't practiced all week and isn't ready to go. And it's just, let's just let the senior have a, have a chance to, you know, interact with the fans over the weekend. Um, If we think we're going to get her back and then she's in the starting lineup. And I felt like that was Creighton. That was being, Creighton was being a little sneaky there. You know, I like put her in the starting <laughs> lineup after letting her be, do the IG takeover. Um, And in games three and four, she was insane. I don't think I expected her to be that good, even though she is Jayla Zimmerman but i mean like 13 kills on 22 swings only one error um, 11 digs like it, were you even even knowing jayla personally were you surprised how uh how good she was in her first match back after having you know 2 weeks on the sidelines basically
1: you know no i'm not surprised um you know i think that's it's good and it's good to see from her and You know, sometimes rest can do you wonders, Um, you know, and just getting a break from it and, you know, kind of working right into it again and feeling fresh and good. And hopefully, you know, that's kind of a product of, you know, her feeling really good and just physically being ready to go and, you know, can hopefully play in all the matches here um, towards the end of the season and then into postseason. So, no, I'm not surprised, but it was really good to see those numbers from her and, I guess I wouldn't say that's typical of somebody coming off a couple of weeks, um, not playing so much, not practicing, but um, not surprising just because of the way that she impacts the game and, you know, how, just what she does for her team.
0: Yeah. It's, I was surprised. It's it's kind of, well, because it's it's just remarkable. Like, I don't think, I mean, Marquette's not an easy team to do that to in the first place, I think is my point of view. So, maybe they didn't game plan for her. That was their mistake, but you know, for her to be that good in the most important sets of that match coming out of the intermission and just basically playing error-free volleyball, you know, she got kills from the back row again. She got kills from her left side, typical left side. She got kills out of system, in system. Um. Yeah. I don't know. It's part of the whole thing where I've, I hope she comes back next year because I feel like a lot of people maybe including myself at some points have taken her 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 abilities for granted a little bit just because she came in you know behind that J. Lee Taring class um and didn't you know she didn't take off as a freshman she kind of had to wait her turn so uh you know her career arc has kind of come in you know that sophomore junior year and now with the way COVID kind of interrupted her junior year a little bit, it wasn't a full, it was like a spring season. It wasn't a real actual fall, you know, an actual Mm -hmm. grind. So, um, yeah, just, and then the injury happened this year. So it's like, man, you just wish Jayla could get like a full run at like an upperclassman season and let it, and let it rip, you know? And she did it on Friday. She was incredible. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if they win at all without her, I mean, I felt like they could win without her in that match, but the way she played and how dominant she was in sets three and four, you, you look at that and that's how dominant Creighton was. So it's almost like they followed their leader on that one. Right. Like as she went, they went and, you know, um, it seemed like the match, like once, once Jayla got going, Marquette didn't have an answer for her because they probably, maybe they didn't even expect her to be that good the first time back. And maybe that it caught them off off guard as well. But it just felt like you know, as Jalen went, Creighton went in that match, and um, it was a big one for the Jays. We talked about it last week why this was a big one for them. But you know, it's it's she's a, she's a, she's a great one for sure, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, it'd be interesting to be you know, kind of in Markhead's shoes and just kind of see how they did prepare. And I'm sure it threw them a curveball. You know, and they're like, oh, she's in the starting lineup. All of our past matches from the couple of weeks that we've watched, you know, she hasn't been there, so. She does just change kind of the makeup of the team. Um, So it's just awesome to kind of see, too, just the parity that they had again. I think, you know, I think Annika got a lot of attempts that maybe she has it really earlier in this season. I think she really kind of showed out and did really well. Um, So I think overall, I think they got a lot of people involved, and that was really helpful. So Jayla didn't have to carry, you know, such a huge load. I think they really spread it around nicely.
0: Did you feel like this was – one of Kendra's better matches in season two. I mean, from a number standpoint, it certainly looks that way. A 40 20 match for a setter is really good, obviously, but you know, she, she had, she took 15 swings. So like, I know you've been talking about that in terms of you want your setter to be really aggressive when she's at the net, because it opens everything else up for the hitters and makes their job so much easier. If, if Marquette actually has to account for her by putting numbers in front of her um, in terms of what that isolates for your own hitters. So she goes six for 15, only commits one error. Um, You know, 40 assists and 21 digs in four sets. Like, that. that's a pretty all-around efficient performance for her. And in terms of her distribution rate, you know, it's like she took – she called her number 15 times. Naomi had 13 swings. Um, Jayla and Nora were in the 40s, 40s range. Uh, Keely was at 29. And then Annika, like you mentioned, was at 21. Like, it just felt like – You know, she got everybody involved, including herself.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you got to have six kills, 40 assists, 21 digs. I mean, you can't ask for much more, right? I mean, four more kills and she has a triple double. So, yeah, I just think she did a really nice job this weekend. And, again, I thought, like, picked really good opportunities to dump and then just keep their defense and their blockers kind of guessing on if she was going to dump or where she was going to distribute. So. I thought overall really, really good performance by her.
0: Is not have you know, was not having Jayla for the last three matches, um <clears throat> you know, you probably don't ever want to like not have your best player available. But if you're going to have if you're going to lose her, you know, having to face Providence, Villanova, Georgetown, who were, you know, they're not the they're not world beaters. Um, so Creighton can match up with them still without Jayla. Um, but in terms of what it did for Kendra's confidence in everybody else, like I imagine for a setter, especially a freshman setter, having someone of Jayla Zimmerman's caliber is quite a safety net on a daily basis. So like, if you're not comfortable in a certain situation, just find Jayla. Right. And then let her do the work. So without her for two weeks, three matches, all those practices they had where she was sidelined. Um, what kind of effect do you think um, that had on, you know, Kendra's confidence in Annika and Keeley and Naomi and Nora and just trying to get on the same page with more hitters than just the senior All-American.
1: I think it does a lot. I mean, from her perspective, you know, she doesn't have Jaley out there who is usually taking the most attempts uh, right. on the team or, you know, maybe second on the team, depending on the night. But I think it just makes you kind of look to different people and you have to have different answers for things because, you know you can't set a middle 30 balls in a game right so it's just it's just different you have to find your backer attack you maybe have to find spots where you yourself can get a kill and then distributing to your outside maybe running something different than your typical just outside ball um you know just to switch it up and kind of make another team guess so it's not so obvious that you're just setting the high ball out to the outside Mm -hmm. um so i just think it it kind of just creates a different look for you. And I think it honestly will probably be really helpful going forward in the season, because you learn to trust other people as a setter. you know, you learn where you can find people and get kills. That's not just, you know, that safety net of let's find JLo. Like she's you, she's usually good for a kill. Right. So it just kind of gives you that different look and makes you think about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, just to break down a little bit here, like, Um, yeah Marquette was you know 205 on first ball kills 097 in transition so when Creighton got them out of system or created those long rallies like Marquette had a tough time terminating um, the Jays though were 273 on first ball swings and 227 in transition so you know, that, I that, that, I think that goes to what you were saying about Creighton winning the serve and pass battle and being really error-free in that regard because Marquette's offense is deadly. So you figure if they're in system, they're not going to terminate at a, you know, 205 clip on first balls if they're getting, if they're nailing that first pass or keeping that setter in front of that 10-foot line most of the time, right? Yeah,
1: I agree. And Marquette, too, likes to run, kind of, a few different sets that they'll, like, switch or they'll run inside on a two ball or they'll hit a three ball. So if you're disrupting them from the service line and they're not kind of getting that approach that they are looking for, so they're lined up for it. And then, you know, they have to audible to something else um, and run something a little bit more traditional probably. Um, so I think you saw that a little bit. It helped neutralize just what they could do offensively. And so Creighton was just able, able to, like, breed them from a blocking standpoint.
0: It felt like a lot of Creighton's success on serves – they were, I don't know how to, you can probably help me with the terminology here. And I think you're going to have to, but like, you know, Creighton practices serving and they try to like hit in between those zones. Right. Cause you guys put the hula hoops out, you know, Yeah. you try to nail in between them. Right. That's the idea. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So it
0: felt like Creighton was going in between passers a lot with their serves. Cause you saw a lot of like, um, a lot of passes for Marquette that were kind of like where they had to swing the pendulum a little bit where they, it wasn't in there, in there. I don't even know what I would call it, but their footwork wasn't centered to the ball. They were kind of having to reach for it a little bit and it was, you know, communication. They had to communicate and, you know, the ball was kind of getting shanked a little bit and the setter would have to chase it. Them having two setters helps that because they can, you know, either side of the court, they can find somebody, but it felt like Creighton was doing a good job of, you know, executing that, that, that training of hitting in between that hula hoop, right. Where they had to, where it wasn't, where you didn't know if you were a passer, if it was coming to you or not, it was kind of just in your area.
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of the magic of having good servers. Um, Cause you want to hit those gaps, right. You want to make people communicate, um, make it harder on them, make them kind of feel out what the person next to them is doing. If they're going to try to, you know, come over and pass the ball or not. And, it just creates a lot of questions and when there's questions you have shaked passes and you get a team out of system. So yeah, a lot of it is like you said, just hitting like in between those pool hoops, um, like they do in practice. And then two that you'll see Creighton sometimes drop a ball shorter, you know, kind of just make people in the front row and the back row kind of guess like who's going to take it. So that's the whole goal. I mean, when you're serving, you want to, you want to usually drive it hard into those seams, um, mm-hmm. just make passers guess.
0: Yeah, no, Creighton did a great job of that because you could, I mean, you can just tell when Marquette's swinging, like it's not right at them. That means Creighton's nailing their targets, basically. Um, Let's move on to DePaul. This one was a little bit, well, there was some drama in set two. Can we just talk about that for a second? Because that's weird. Like this sport freaks me out sometimes. You've got, so it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's. Set one was great. Set one was really competitive. I think it was as competitive as I thought it was going to be between Depaul and Creighton. Um, you know that it felt like it could have gone either way, uh, depending on who could execute late. Obviously, the Jays won it, uh, pulled away late. Um, I think Kendra and Keeley had some big kills. Um, but set two, so Creighton gets off to a, I think they were up ten to five or nine to five, and it's a long rally. There's a ball that. Depaul maybe pancakes, um, but Creighton thinks he hit the floor, and then uh, the you know down official or the officials end up ruling that Depaul hits it out, but they thought Creighton touched it on the block, so they review. So Depaul challenges the touch, and the officials overturn it because Creighton did touch it. Then Creighton immediately has to challenge again because they thought the ball hit the floor earlier in the point. Why on earth? Why on earth, when you're looking at that play, can you not just, like, look at it from start to finish and see that the ball hit the floor, which made the block touch irrelevant, and you don't have to waste – each coach doesn't have to waste a challenge in that. It's just one challenge. Like, why did that have to happen?
1: Man, I don't know. It is frustrating. That's, I mean, I think that's kind of a, an argument for why, like, if you win a challenge, you should get your challenge back, right? Yes, like, right. Like, they're right. testing that out in the Big Ten, I think, this year, like, in their conference season. So, yeah, I mean, I think you should. If you win it, you should get it back. So, I mean, yeah, you shouldn't just have to, you know, use it and lose it, but – Man, yeah, that's just frustrating as a coach, just to be like, okay, everyone saw it. Let's, you know, let's get the call right, and right. you
0: know, actually, yeah, evaluate the whole point itself. Otherwise, what do you? Yeah. Want? And then DePaul challenged the very next point, so it took like 20 minutes to play those two points all together. That's mm-hmm. got to be frustrating for the players on the court, right? That's longer than intermission lasts. Like you're just <laughs> you're just standing out there and your rhythm's all gone, right?
1: Yeah, a little bit. It's a strange feeling, even with, you know, just even short challenges sometimes, you know, not even quite that length. Some of those challenges can, you know, just be a little lengthy and it just really stops your momentum, especially if you're rolling, you know, and yeah, I thought it's was. A lot. many points was rolling in this match. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for them, I mean, it's kind of frustrating. Maybe for the Paul, they're trying to regroup. Um, but yeah, as a team, kind of trying to stretch those leads out, it's very frustrating.
0: Yeah, but the Jays did end up rolling in two and three um, after set one was competitive. I think, like, you know, you look at Jayla had a lot. Um, you know, she got 30 swings, had 10 kills. You know, Kiana and Annika both hit again. Uh, again, Kendra called her number 10 times, had five kills, uh, a double-double with the aces and digs again. Um yeah, you know, just another good performance. I think another balanced performance. Honestly, like ever since that UConn match, like it feels like Creighton has made a concerted effort to be as balanced as possible. And I know it's tough because it's dictated by, you know, how well you can pass. Right, if you're in system, you're more likely to be balanced because you have options. But um, so is that? Do you just attribute it to that? These last. Three, five matches now. Creighton has been passing really well that's allowed Kendra to have options, or is um is there more to it than that?
1: No, I think that their their servant pass game is definitely, I think, the foundation of just being able to have parity. Um, but I think too, um, you said after that, you know, UConn match, they really I think have made a concerted effort to just have parody and You know, for Kendra, I think at times she's maybe choosing not to set the easiest set, right? Or just, you know, Mm. the basic set that, you know, the easiest choice. Um, And I think she's been rewarded for that. And, you know, I think everybody on the team kind of has stepped up. And, you know, it helps you just stay focused and, you know, fine-tune your own skills and hopefully raise your level Um, as a hitter that you know you're going to, you know, get that ball um, at certain times and you're just locked in and hoping to get kills for your team.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, Annika's putting together some really good performances here of late. Let's, let me go back and look and just see what she's at with her game by or match by match since, uh, UConn. Cause it feels like she, her and Kiana kind of traded off there for a little bit. But, you know, it does feel like that Annika's starting to, you know, become that, that reliable fourth, third or fourth option, depending on who's on between her and Keely, right? Like, you obviously know J- Jayla or uh, Nora and Jayla are the top two options. So you're kind of wondering, okay, can, K- can Creighton get three hitters going tonight? You can Creighton get four hitters going tonight along with uh, Kendra's ability to dump in the middle, you know? So when you look at what Anika done since UConn, so she had four kills on – so including the UConn match, she had been in the single digits and attempts – the last three against DePaul and Marquette, and then only played one set against Seton Hall. Um, Then, so starting with uh, Providence, Providence, Kiana got most of the playing time in that match. Um, So Georgetown, Annika was seven kills, one error on 13 swings, um, and also had five blocks. Villanova, seven kills, three errors, 14 swings, eight blocks, which I believe is a career high. Um, Marquette, nine kills, one error, 21 swings, which is a season-high in attempts, um, five more blocks. And then DePaul, eight kills, two errors, 17 swings, um, and four more blocks. So, I mean, her attempts have nearly doubled. um, But not only that, she's terminating at a higher rate than she had been all season. When you look at the hitting percentages, you know, 462, 286, 381, 353, that's kind of all, like, that's probably exceeding that sweet spot of what you talked about in terms of having a middle right side attacker be, you know, in that 350 area. It seems like she's kind of hovering right around that, which is what you isolated maybe three or four weeks ago in terms of what might, you know, take Creighton's offense to another level in terms of just, you know, creating not only parity, but efficient, you know, in enhancing their efficiency.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one thing that stuck out to me from this DePaul match was. Um, like Nora had 15 attempts and then Annika had 17, Keely had 13, Jill had 30. Um, so I think it's just kind of unusual, you know, typically you'd see Nora up there with a ton of attempts, but you know, if we're the, in this match in particular, um, Annika had a few more, um, then, you know, Keely had maybe a few more than she's been getting. So just, it's good to see, you know, it's not going to be creating every single night is the same, right? I mean, it just makes yeah. it harder for right. teams that are scouting. I mean, you look at the Marquette match and you look at the DePaul match and the attempts are different. So the attempts are different, you know, kind of who's going, where is different. And um, for guy I think, you know, she runs that slide really well. And I think that's really helped Crane's offense. And she's somebody who um, you know, they had been working on running that slide and just making her a really good, powerful slide hitter um, for a couple of years now. And so it's really it's really good to see that pay off and see her have really good success at that.
0: Is it is it is that OK to be a bread and butter play as much as Creighton uses it? Like if they're like, all right, you know, Jalen and Nora can terminate off the net or on the net or in the back row, wherever they're at. So we know they have like they we know we can keep them on the floor for six rotations and find them wherever they're at um with Annika running the slide and you know that she's really good at running the slide how does the defense prepare for that is it still something where if Kendra reads the defense it's still tough to block even though they know that's the ball Annika's is going to hit most of the time
1: um I would say that a, a slide is pretty hard to block honestly just because of the trajectory of it um just the way that your middle will chase the ball out to the pin and kind of rotate in the air. um, That part of it just makes it kind of difficult. um, Especially if she has both shots. So she can hit, you know, sharp cross, deep cross line. I think Anika is somebody who tips really well short over the block too. um, And she could throw it down the line deep. So I think just for her, she has a lot of really good shots. So she's not so one dimensional um, just so that you would know every single time, you know, where she's going to hit that ball.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. I did have a question. I think I got a question for you from a fan. Let me see what it is. Um, Oh, it was about changing sides on the court. Yeah. I've noticed that they don't change sides anymore. So that started last year with COVID Mm -hmm. um, and they've kind of just kept it going. I assume it was COVID related because you didn't want, you know, cross-contamination with the benches and whatnot. And I don't know, does it, does it? I mean, you're all, you're always playing on one side of the court, so you don't get multiple vantage points. But does it really matter that much? Do you feel like it makes a difference at all? Not changing sides. You've done it. Your I don't lives,
1: feel like but... you really. I know. I don't really feel like it matters too much. Yeah, I, that was just because of COVID. Um, yeah. from what I heard, but yeah, yeah, they've
0: kept that though. So that's yeah. I was that was the one question when someone was curious why they don't change sides anymore. I don't know if it really affects anything. I haven't really noticed. Uh. Hmm. I don't know. If anything, you think your rhythm will get better because you're, 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 you get adjusted to the sight lines more as you go along. So you're probably like better in three than you are in, in, in one, right? Cause you're just used to everything at that point.
1: Yeah. Know. Maybe. I mean, I guess I could see it from a standpoint if you had like fans heckling you on one side or
0: something. Yeah. That's true. You
1: know, like something like somebody's like right up next to you, just like heckling you, but. No, I mean, that doesn't
0: happen so much in volleyball, so. Mm -hmm. You know what I thought was going to be interesting is Creighton has the new uh, video board at DJ Sokol Arena. Mm -hmm. And like the first couple practices, because they started out training at the Ruth a lot before the season started. And I think they only had like a handful, maybe like two or three before they played Iowa State in the exhibition match. And I think the video board was a little jarring at first because they were hitting into it. And it's so big that – and then the camera obviously shows you. So you, like, can't help but, like, look up at yourself and see what's going on there. <laughs> so I don't know if that threw the players off at all. But, I mean, that match was insane. Um, and Creighton's played really well at home all year. So I don't think – I think they've gotten, gotten used to it a little bit, even though they have to hit into it every time. But um, one thing that has changed, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but, like, that first home weekend – Uh, The camera operator, like, I think the feed that that the video board was on was, like, showing the feed that everybody was watching at home, so in between points, the camera would zoom in on Coach Booth, kind of like where she masks her face from the opponent and gives instructions to the team, but they would show that on the video board. So the like (laughs) Illinois after a while was starting to look up at the video board in between points, and I'm like, they're just showing her exactly what Kirsten's saying. I was like, that's kind of funny. I don't think they've done that very much since, so they caught on to that a little bit. But yeah, that's just interesting the way that it's a little subtle change to the game, but I don't know if it has a huge impact on performance at all. If anything, I feel like it would just you just get used to it at some point and not have to notice it after very long. Players are creatures of habit, too. So once you get into a routine, players just kind of adjust and do their thing, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would be, like, so game for not switching sides. I'd be like, I don't have to move my stuff. Like, my water's (laughs) where it was. We're all good. Like, I'm settled in my towels where I put it, you know?
0: I hadn't even thought of that part. But, yeah, it probably is more of a hassle to move all your junk over there. huh? (laughs) (laughs) It was probably sucked in AAU because you had, like, backpacks and, like, shoes yeah clothes and stuff yeah
1: club tournaments that's probably a
0: pain in the butt um yeah so Creighton's back in first place now um they're tied with Marquette at 10 and 2 in the standings UConn's one match back of those two um but they're all done playing each other so it's kind of weird you know they're not really they don't really have a chance like to catch each other the you know the head-to-head way they kind of got to hope someone slip Someone trips someone else up so they can move move uh up or down. Um, then you know, Butler's at seven and five, Nova six and six, along with DePaul, St. John's and Xavier are both five and seven. Um, you know, when you look at with the way this might shake out, like it feels like Creighton, Marquette, UConn are all real in really good position to make the big East tournament. And I think DePaul is like is in good spot too because Look at it this way, like Creighton, Marquette, UConn, and DePaul, those four teams, they don't play each other anymore. They're done. You you know, DePaul's played UConn. The the, the season series between those four are already done, whereas Villanova, you know, they still have to play Marquette again. They still have to play Creighton again. Butler is going to be in Omaha this weekend. Same with Xavier. St. John still has to go to Creighton again. Like the way the schedule sets up, DePaul has a chance to – um, you know, have a softer landing at the end here, which I think puts them, this is only one match back right now with Butler. It puts them in a good spot to make the Big East tournament for the first time. Um, and it just feels like that's the four. Like when you look at it, they're the top four in RPI. You know, Creighton's 11, Marquette's 14, UConn 61, DePaul 62. But also the eye test, Megan, right? We've seen all these teams now. Um, doesn't it feel like that's the top four teams in this league at this point?
1: Yeah, I think so, and just uh, some of these other teams, I think, just aren't consistent, so it's just hard to know, like, who's going to show up, like, St. John's, you know, I thought, when they played Creighton, you're like, oh, wow, like, St. John's could be in the top four, but then you watch them play other teams, and you're just like, no, like, there's no way. Yeah. So, it's just an interesting, you know, kind of turn of events, I think, just from what I thought going into this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I think DePaul really does have a solid chance to be that number four spot. Um, and, you know, hopefully they do. Hopefully they, you know, win out the rest of the season and get there to the Big East tournament. That would be really good yeah. for them. And, I mean, good for the Big East, too, just because, you know, where those RPI standings are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Big East is holding strong in that, in that you know, that five, six, seven range in terms of conference RPI Creighton's honestly trending to like have one of their better regular seasons. I mean, maybe ever like, obviously the sweet 16 elite eight teams are still kind of the bar. So, you know, the, the, you know, the best team ever is that 16 team that made the elite eight. So that like, that's hard to argue with that. But just in terms of where they're setting up right now, if you look at their schedule, the way it lays out, because they were so good in the non-con, they have a chance to win 30 matches before the NCAA tournament starts. You know, like that's never happened before. But, I mean, the mm-hmm. most they've ever won in a season is 29, even with the even with the elite eight run, your team, your your team from 2016 only won 29 matches. So they have a chance to win 30 before the NCAA tournament and go into that thing 30 and three if they win out. Um, but right now they're 11 and three against the top 85 because, you know, UNO is a top 100 team, South Dakota's, uh, 80 in the RPI, SMU, Wichita are both in the 60 to 65 range. Uh, USC is around 55. Illinois has really come on strong. They're a top 30 team, you know, Nebraska obviously is really good. And then Kentucky's, uh, you know, been top 10, top five, top 10 all season. So. You know, Creighton's 9-2 and two against the top 65 this year, and five of those wins are away from home. They, they're they trending right now to have the best season they've had in this, in this, you know, at least since they got to the Big East. Like, right now they have more top 65 wins than they've had in any of those seasons up to this point. RPI's 11th. Um, strength of schedule looks good. Do they look like it? Do they look like they're trending? You know, because defensively, offensively, they're obviously getting better. Now with Jayla healthy and playing well, that's another – you know, another thing you feel good about in terms of their, their ceiling, how do they look to you in terms of where they're at uh, as they try to, like, figure out how to peak in December like that 2016 and 2015
1: team did? Yeah, I think they're looking good, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, that parity that we talked about that I thought they really needed if they were going to be successful in the postseason. Um, So I think it's really gotten a lot better Um, and I think they really have a good chance to go deep in the tournament Um, Mm. just because of, you know, what they do and they are so good fundamentally. And I think blocking um, defense is really just going to win them a lot of games and it has this season so far. Um, Yeah. So I'm just excited to, you know, watch these last, what is it? Six matches of regular season. Um, And hopefully they play really good, consistent, clean volleyball, um, and can win out in all these matches and then go into that Big East Championship with that number one spot.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but it does—it just feels like something's clicking. I think, you know, one thing that's interesting that I, I, I kind of want to flesh out a little bit this weekend with them back at home, maybe ask some players of what they think the difference is. But, you know, I think I'll start with you, just if you can maybe put yourself in the mind of, of a player again. Because the one thing excuse me, the one thing the coaching staff has talked about is kind of like giving the players more freedom defensively. Obviously, so you know what Creighton's like in terms of scout and preparation, right? There's a lot of like, you know, honing in on tendencies throughout the week so you know what you're about to see on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, correct? Um, mm-hmm. So when, when the coaching staff talks about freeing up players to make their own decisions defensively and that has translated to success like to me as a like a novice i think that means that the coaching staff is starting to trust the players instincts a little bit more what does it say to you when 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 a team is given more freedom defensively to kind of make decisions and read and react without necessarily being you know just like kind of play freely a little bit you know free you up a little bit what does that what does that signal to you? What what rings off in your mind as a player when you hear them being freed up defensively?
1: I think it's really helpful. I mean, from my standpoint, I know there were many times um, blocking wise would be in the middle of a match and, you know, the Kirsten would look at me and be like, where, where should you block? Like, where do you think they're going to go? And, you know, she just kind of like let me determine like where I wanted to go or if I thought I should cover the middle or cheat outside or go to the right side Mm -hmm. so I think it just shows that trust and I mean you have players who have played years and years and years of volleyball so I mean they can read and they have good instincts Um, so I think it's just really helpful and it kind of just allows you to take the read in the moment and just go with it and trust your training and Ensure that, you know, you can make that move if it's blocking or if it's defensively, you know, diving to right or left or, you know, cheating up for a tip. So there's just a lot of, you know, helpfulness in that just because, you know, maybe the scout says, oh, this girl hits, you know, sharp cross. But maybe you read something completely different. If you go to the spot that you scouted and she hits it the opposite of where you went, you know, you're kind of kicking yourself for not being like, "Ah, oh, well, mm-hmm. I should have gone with what I thought, right? Not with what the scout was. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of instances where it can be really helpful. Um, obviously if you make the wrong read and you're just out there kind of guessing and not sure, um, then it can kind of be dangerous, but I think having a really good balance of that is really helpful for, um, each player.
0: But if, if, if the results are translating, does that build the team's confidence? Because it's like you said, at at some point in your career, you felt like you understood who you were as a player better than anybody else. Right. So, you know, when a coach asks you what you should be doing, you're confident in your response, right? So, like, right now with this team, with the way they're playing, um, since that moment, whenever it was where the coaches made a concerted decision to say, hey, let's just, like, let's let's not be as robotic out there and as scout-centric and, like, let's give them the tendencies, but let's let them react to the match itself. Um, As their success piles up and they put together these performances, that increases the confidence level and the trust, right. Of the players to know what they should be doing in certain situations and the coaches to understand that the players are going to make the right read more often than not. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it just builds confidence, you know, for the coaches and for the players and, um, just letting players, you know, kind of do what they like feel is right. A lot of times, you know, is going to end up, um, with some good success. Um, so I don't think you can go wrong. And as long as you, you know, go about it in the right way. Um, I think it's really helpful.
0: Yeah. I mean, they they certainly, as they, I mean, they've recruited a high level of volleyball player every single year, like the recruiting classes have gotten better. You figure you're getting, you know, it's not just a physical talent, but there's some volleyball IQ involved with these players too. Right. So, you know, we know Jayla's got a really high volleyball IQ, um, and, you know, Nora and Kendra are coming along, but the coaching staff has liked what they've, you know, what they, they think they have high volleyball IQs as well. So if you feel like you have a, you know, a team that is, you know, has good instincts, you should you, you feel like you should be able to trust them more to pray, play freely and be mistake-free, right? Because who knows, even if you're, like, trying to be so um, ABC about it, you might be more mistake prone because you're just not, you're just not like loose, you know, you're tight, you're thinking, um, you're not reacting as much because you're trying to think about, okay, here's the rotation that's on the floor right now. What are their tendencies out of this? Who do they like to go to here? What should, where should I line up? You know, you're not really, you're not really playing the game. You're just kind of playing the the, the, the stat sheet at that point. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why, like, as a player, you'll sit in scout, right? And they'll kind of tell you um, very specifically, like, where they tend to hit or, you know, where their defense tends to be set up um, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, when you get out to a game, you just – you have to play freely. And then it's your coach's job, really, like, maybe to remind you every once in a while. And in yeah. the back of your head, you can be like, okay, like, I remember that in scout we talked about that. But I'm not – I'm not out there, like, you know, calculating, like, which specific angle this girl's going to hit every time. You just – you can't think that much. Like mm-hmm. you just have to almost not think and just play. And a lot of times it'll turn out better
0: for sure. Yeah. I mean, it looks like that the way they're playing right now, because honestly there was a moment there where it just looked like it wasn't very, it wasn't consistent from match to match. Like there would be some where they played really well, some where it looked like they reverted back a little bit. And as we were trying to analyze it, we're like, well, are they playing up or down to their competition, or is there something else going on? You know, are they just not finding that rhythm that they have uh, normally find that they normally find in October? Um, but now it seems like they've hit a stride. We'll see if it carries on. But it, you know, I it coincides with that bit of like just freedom that they were given to just be volleyball players, and the results have translated right ever since that UConn match. Where again, that one honestly. There was no instant replay. That one could have gone either way. Like it wasn't like Creighton got rolled that day. So it's, it's still like, other than the Nebraska match, there isn't a match where Creighton has gotten just pummeled. But I think that's the most impressive thing about this team is they've gone through the adversity of, you know, not having Kiara Reinhardt all season, not having JLo Zimmer, Zimmerman for two weeks, having a freshman setter, um, having inconsistent performances, putting Keely Davis in different positions, um, having the new libero. And they've, They, you know, still haven't – they ran through the non-con and they haven't really gotten punished by anybody other than that Nebraska match. Um, I think that speaks to their talent level, but the performances they're putting through now, I think, speak to their – the mashup of their volleyball IQ mixed with um, them kind of hitting a stride in terms of their confidence because they've got a lot of hitters going. Uh, Kendra's playing better than ever. They have Jayla back now. Like, I think this is – it'll be interesting to watch these final six matches – Going into the Big East tournament and into the NCAA tournament to see um, if the trajectory continues to go up because you felt like this team had a lot of potential, right? I mean, just based on the talent level that they have been accruing over the years, um, it, it, you feel like the bar is just going to naturally raise itself because the talent in the gym, you know, gets better year after year, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I think competition is um, really good. And I think you see that um, a lot of people, you know, maybe could be playing, um, but there's a lot of competition in that spot and you really have to earn it and um, play really well. So it's good to see. And I think it makes everybody better. Um, Yeah. So I just think it'll be fun and, you know, hopefully everyone can stay healthy. Um, You know, that's a big thing going into the postseason. But, yeah, I think it'll be really fun just to watch and kind of see what they can do.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, uh, we appreciate uh, everybody for tuning in, as always. Um, sorry this one came a little bit late, but still got to talk some volleyball, so it was fun. Um, yeah, this weekend, Creighton hosts uh, Xavier and Butler. I actually don't have the schedule in front of me, so I don't know what happens first, but um, yeah, get up to DJ Silicon Arena this weekend, watch the team. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. Men's soccer's got a big home match tomorrow. Uh, basketball teams are starting to roll up, but. And, you know, when basketball starts, that means volleyball is getting into the big matches of the season. So get out to DJ Circle Arena, get to watch this team at home. Uh, they're playing really, really well right now at a really high level. Um, they get Xavier Butler to start off their final six matches of the regular season as they chase down another big East regular season title. Um, yeah, for, for Megan, I'm Matt. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys again next week.